You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with heightened health concerns tonight after the Center for Disease Control confirmed today the first U.S. case of Wuhan coronavirus. The virus has already killed six people in China and infected hundreds of others in several countries. Now it's just been found south of us in Washington state. Nadia Stewart is live at YVR tonight with more on how it's believed that that patient contracted the virus, Nadia, and what health experts here are saying about it. Yeah, the U.S. is limiting all flights arriving from China to just five airports nationwide. We are being told on both sides of the border that there is no need to panic, but we do know now that measures are in place for screening here at YVR. And this is certainly not a moment for panic or high anxiety. It is a moment for vigilance. Those words from Washington State Governor Jay Inslee as the world learns the Wuhan coronavirus is now confirmed in a U.S. patient, a man in his 30s, returned to the Seattle area from Wuhan province on January 15th. He fell ill on January 16th and went to be evaluated for his condition on January 19th at his local clinician. Uh, at that time, he it was suggested to him that he remain in isolation at home so he would not be a particular, uh, uh, a potentially a transmitter of uh, any particular disease. The man is now in hospital and will spend at least 48 hours there. He lives alone and traveled alone. Experts are contacting everyone he might have come in contact with, particularly those in the U.S. and on the flights he took. Once exposed, it can take up to 14 days for symptoms to show. The man was not displaying any on the flight, we're told. At Tuesday's press conference, doctors and experts from the Center for Disease Control admit there is still a lot of unknowns with this virus. But so far, they say patterns of transmission indicate human-to-human -human spread is limited. And then subsequent uh, investigations that have looked at individuals that haven't had that market-related exposure, there haven't been sustained multiple generations of transmission. The virus was first identified in a market in Wuhan. America is now the fifth country reporting a case of the illness following China, Thailand, Japan and South Korea. Six people have died and about 300 have been infected worldwide, prompting airport screening. Um, there's a direct question that says, have you been in Wuhan province? Which is now in place in Vancouver. And anybody who answers yes to that will be screened by a border service agent, a CBSA agent, um, if they have any signs of that are concerning at all, um, they'll be assessed by the quarantine officer. All right, Nadia, let's talk about the symptoms. If people are feeling ill, what should they know about what to look for? Well, a lot of those symptoms mimic the, the common cold. We can show them or describe them to you right now. Uh, runny nose, cough, a, a sore throat, possibly a headache or a fever, which can last for a couple of days. Now, once it continues, though, it can usually call, cause mild to moderate upper respiratory tract illness. But as usual, even as it is with the flu, the elderly or the young or are most vulnerable. Those with weakened immune systems. It could cause a more serious infection like pneumonia or bronchitis, Chris. All right, Nadia, thanks very much. No time to panic, but uh, obviously good to be vigilant. Thanks for that.
An alleged assault at a Port Coquitlam Middle School spread like wildfire on social media today. RCMP arrested a 13-year-old boy after a verbal confrontation with a female student escalated and the girl was injured. Grace Key has more on what's alleged to have happened and the calls for calm from RCMP. Grace? Well, this all unfolded after school on January 10th here at Citadel Middle School in Port Coquitlam. Now, the girl's mother posted about the incident on social media as well as photos of her daughter's injuries. Now, we are cropping out uh, those photos to protect the girl's identity. But the mother says the girl blacked out and was treated in hospital for gashes to her face and eyes. The mother says her daughter was picking up two younger siblings when four boys approached and started making lewd sexual comments. Our CMP say there was a verbal altercation and it escalated when the girl used, quote, a low level of physical force. The 13-year-old boy returned with what they're calling an inappropriate level of force. The Maple Ridge boy was arrested on scene and accused of assault, causing bodily harm and uttering threats. Police say there are also allegations on social media that directly contradict video evidence and witness statements and they are asking for calm. We're seeing people make statements that make us concerned for the security of all the young people involved in this file. It doesn't matter if they're a victim. It doesn't matter if they're an accused. It is not acceptable to give veiled threats or to suggest you're going to do something about this file. We have the investigation well in hand. We have good evidence and we're making sure that people are safe. Now, I did speak with the girl's mother, and as you can imagine, she is extremely upset. She is also not happy with how police have characterized or handled the situation. Now, as for the boy, he is, uh, does not have, has not had any previous dealings with police. He was released on condition, and he will be appearing in court at a later date. More charges are also possible against all parties involved. As for the school, it did send out a statement to parents and media. They are not making any further comments because of the police investigation. All right, thanks for that. Grace Key reporting in Port Coquitlam. A warning to women tonight as Burnaby RCMP investigate a late night assault. The victim was walking in the 7200 block of Gray Avenue in Burnaby on Sunday night when she says a man approached her from behind, attempted to cover her mouth and wrap his other arm around her body. She says she ducked down to avoid his grasp, screamed, and the suspect ran away. She, she, she sustained some minor injuries. Uh, other than that, she's going to be okay. The suspect is described as a Caucasian man, uh, slim build, uh, with, uh, wearing a black hoodie and black gloves with white lettering. Day two of Meng Wanzhou's extradition hearing in Vancouver wrapped early today as defense finished laying out its argument. The United States wants to extradite Huawei's chief financial officer on fraud charges. The defense arguing that what Meng is accused of in the U.S. is not a crime here in Canada. Aaron MacArthur has more on what happens next and the unusual protest outside the courthouse. When Meng Wanzhou appears in court, it is usually a bit of a circus. There's the media, the people concerned with what she's wearing, and the protesters. This week, even more so. Some of the protesters, it appears, were paid to be here. The scene on Monday outside court looked like your typical human rights protest, but something about it didn't seem quite right, and there were accusations of it being a paid-for piece of propaganda. 
Online, several people were seen on social media saying they were paid to appear in a music video. And when reporters started asking real questions, they quickly realized they had been duped. Inside the courtroom, Mung's defense team wrapped up its submission on the issue of double criminality, arguing U.S. sanctions against Iran should play no role in a Canadian courtroom, and that any misrepresentations made by Hmong to banks so Huawei could do business in Iran wouldn't be considered fraud in this country because there are no sanctions. Crown begins its submissions Wednesday morning. Its arguments are fairly straightforward. It's not about Iran sanctions. This is about a business executive who lied to banks in order to secure funding to do business overseas. The case should wrap up Thursday afternoon. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A bungled break-in at a Surrey cell phone store is a classic example of how crime does not pay. The incident caught on surveillance video, the owner able to watch it in real time on her cell phone as she called RCMP. Catherine Urquhart shows us how easy it was for Mounties to get their man. At Peggy Burnt Cell Clinic store in Surrey, there are surveillance cameras and an app links the Telesmart Home security system to her iPhone, a system she's now recommending. We have to take those kind of protection measures into our own hands and the police are um, an aid in that, but they can't, they can't protect your business. On Saturday night, she received an iPhone alert and couldn't believe what she saw. Someone was inside her store. And I immediately called 911 and alerted my son to look at the video, to, to watch the video. So he did that and he could see everything unfolding as I'm talking to 911. Surveillance video shows the thief breaking the glass door, bending a security gate and slipping underneath. He throws iPad cases under the gate then realizes he's trapped inside. He was just in panic. So he got, he got a chair. He, tried, he was going to climb the gate. He was going to climb the chair to get over the gate. Within minutes, the RCMP arrive and arrest the 38-year-old thief who faces possible charges. Peggy is now urging other business owners to consider the latest security technology. It just it sends a real message out there that technology has really done the, us small business owners a favor um, to help us protect ourselves. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Thieves also ransacking the Dragon Boat Festival office at Creekside Community Center over the weekend. Among the items taken were computers, ceremonial drums and paddles, an office safe and thousands of lucky red envelopes stuffed with prizes destined for Lunar New Year community events this weekend. There's so many items that really can't be replaced. Um, that artwork is just our history from um, over the years and everything we've done. And then just the irreplaceable things of just the work. Um, we've had volunteers putting in work, so all of their time and work has sort of been lost in that sort of thing. The losses will be partially covered by insurance, and Dragon Boat BC is working to replace the red envelopes to ensure that this weekend's Year of the Rat celebrations are a success. 
Well, since day one, the Canada line has been a hit. In fact, it's been so popular, it's quickly reaching capacity. Today, four new cars rolled into service to help keep up with passenger demand. Ted Chernecki has more on the plans going forward and why the options for expansion are limited. Here it is, the first of four new trains, looking a lot, if not exactly, like all the others in the fleet. But there are some minor improvements that they bring, most notably an immediate increase in the number of commuters that the system can handle during peak hours. There will be a 15% service increase during peak hours coming to the Canada line. Three, two, one. As it turns out, it quickly reached capacity when it became glaringly obvious that this line was not built to be expanded easily or affordably. So the challenge is we'd have to exchange, uh, expand the platforms of each of the stations and then, um, in effect, put in longer cars. Most of the platforms are 40 meters long but can be lengthened to 50, long enough to accommodate three coaches but not without modifying even these newest cars. Anything longer than 50 meters becomes very expensive. SkyTrain is operating on a very, very limited schedule today. At least most of the Canada line is underground and protected from the elements. But as most every public transit user knows, the rest of the SkyTrain system is a nightmare when it snows. They're going to learn from the event. They're going to figure out ways uh, to do better um, each and every time uh, it's, it snows. Of course, the operators of SkyTrain have been saying that for 35 years when SkyTrain encountered its first snowfall in the mid-1980s. Still, no one's happier with his $88 million new train set than the CEO. We love getting new fleet. Anytime there are new rail cars or buses, they're, they're always a little bit better than the previous, and this is a great addition for people of Canalong. With the arrival of these new cars, today's capacity increases by 800 passengers during rush hour, with room for another 1,200 commuters by later this year. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Right now, though, Prince Harry arrived in Vancouver last night to rejoin wife Meghan and son Archie, marking day one of their new life away from Buckingham Palace. But they aren't exactly getting the break from the harsh spotlight of the paparazzi here in B.C. as they might have hoped. As Brad McLeod reports, the couple apparently already issued a stern warning to photographers. He's back. Harry was snapped at the Victoria International Airport Monday, and it seems he's still getting royal treatment as he is privately whisked away back to his wife Meghan Markle and son Archie. Even neighbors inundated by media and paparazzi still think it's kind of cool. No, it's uh, exciting. Yeah. But the cameras and crews have created a united front from the people in North Saanich, where the royals have been making this mansion their home. I think the community's kind of decided to um, try and downplay it and protect them as much as possible. But reports say the Duke and Duchess have already put tabloids on notice after Meghan was photographed with son Archie and her dogs at Horth Hill Park Monday. The pair's legal team warning photographers they could get criminally charged with harassment. The RCMP can be called to investigate. Lawyer Ravi Hira says the paparazzi is harassing the Duke and Duchess if they are following them constantly and watching them in their home. There are also civil consequences. In British Columbia, we have a Privacy Act. The pair could get an injunction against unreasonably acting media. Putting their mics in their faces, not giving them the opportunity to move around. That's a breach of privacy, something the pair left their senior royal status for. But the press can push back. There is freedom of the press, too. There's a reasonable expectation to 
look and see how this young couple chart out their future as members of the royal family, but at the same time not being involved in royal functions in a more traditional way. Scott Standard spoke with some paparazzi hanging near his home. They seem to be pretty respectful. But neighbors wouldn't mind the international spotlight on North Saanich to dim sometime soon. I want them to get the, the peace and quiet that they need and deserve. Brad McLeod, Global News, North Saanich. A group of Vancouver dog owners got the attention of city bylaw officers because of a story Global News ran during the recent snowstorm. They say ever since it aired, the city has been threatening them with $2,000 fines for allowing their dogs to run where dogs aren't supposed to be. Linda Ellsworth reports. It's a lonely time of year for outdoor tennis courts and kind of a waste of real estate, really. But add a bunch of snow like we had in Vancouver last Wednesday. And you have the makings of a story, a welcome reprieve from the hard news of the day. The story aired, it was a bit of a feel-good story during the snow day that we had about 15 dogs running around in the tennis courts. Everybody was having a great time. But apparently the city of Vancouver didn't see it that way. Because the next time they visited the tennis courts in Kitsilino's McBride Park, they had visitors. The park rangers came and said that uh, we can no longer play in the tennis courts and that they would fine us $2,000 uh, next time we were here. Yeah. The reason? No dogs are allowed off-leash around here. Even when they're in an enclosed tennis court, which it turns out, they're not allowed in at all. Thing is, there's nowhere else for dogs to go in this neighbourhood. The next closest enclosed space is actually Olympic Village, um, which is quite far. And then there is a couple off-leash areas, but that would be Spanish Banks or Kitts Point. The city actually agrees that there's a need. We are currently exploring opportunities for new off-leash areas in the Kitts neighbourhood, as it was identified as one of six underserved neighbourhoods. Surely a compromise can be reached. The dream scenario would be to have an off-leash dog part that's fenced in um, and in the interim be able to use this space during off hours um, for our dogs to play. In response to that idea, the city reiterated its unyielding leash laws. Too bad, trail mix. It's not that you're not a good dog. It's just stupid rules. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Very cute. Plans for a major expansion by a Penticton business is causing some controversy tonight. The brewery wants to build a 200-seat patio, something the neighbors are more than a little worried about. Our report is from Global Okanagan. The cannery is brewing a plan for a major outdoor expansion. We're calling it the uh, Cannery Brewing Family Beer Park. The brewery's current capacity is 146 people, including a small patio. They're applying for an additional 200 outdoor seats during the summer season. However, the owner says the patio will only reach capacity during special events. We're going to operate sort of 90 people max. The enclosed outdoor space proposed for this empty lot adjacent to the beer manufacturing plant and restaurant. But the brewery backs onto a residential area and some neighbours we spoke to off camera expressed concern about noise and parking. 
That sentiment echoed through letters submitted during the public consultation phase. 199 new seats outside seems like way too many, says Nancy Regeer. I have come home from work on numerous occasions to find my driveway blocked off. My vehicle has already been backed into more than four times, writes Val Ritchie, always resulting in a $300 deductible. We've been in talks with the city about doing some new signage, res residential parking only, that kind of thing. Some neighbors support the expansion along with city staff who are endorsing the application on condition music is turned off at 9 p.m. and service ends an hour later, saying the proposal will add value to the existing community, downtown redevelopment and tourism within the city. We feel that it supports the uh, growing Ellis Corridor uh, revitalization. As for mitigating concerns, the brewery plans to add four parking stalls, erect sound barriers, and close earlier than the liquor license allows. I think it'll be pretty, pretty awesome for the neighborhood. Dick hoping the proposal will be a hopping success when it goes before City Council for approval Tuesday night. Shelby Tom, Global News. Well, the evidence against the president is already overwhelming. They have no case. Impeachment trial of Donald Trump begins with bitter procedural wrangling setting the tone for what's to come. The day's arguments were highlighted by a surprising move by Republicans who backed off from some of their more controversial rules. The GOP easing their plans for a tight two-day schedule and agreeing that House evidence will be included. The Senate will convene as a court of impeachment. Months after the battle lines were drawn, today the first shots in the impeachment trial of President Trump. The president has done absolutely nothing wrong. He would hide graphic evidence of his dangerous misconduct. The two sides squaring off over trial rules Democrats say appear to be designed by President Trump. By President Trump for President Trump. It asks the Senate to rush through as fast as possible and makes getting evidence as hard as possible. In the midst of fierce partisanship and unexpected compromise, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell agreeing to give each side three days to present its case instead of two. He also yielded on allowing evidence from the House investigation. Yeas are 53. The nays are 47. But in the first vote of the trial, Republicans held ranks to block new evidence, at least for now. Republicans also standing firm against immediately introducing new witness testimony. The first thing that the House managers have done upon arriving finally in this chamber after waiting for 33 days is to say, well, actually, we need more evidence. Have you ever heard of a trial that doesn't have evidence, that doesn't have witnesses? The man at the center of the storm spending the day outside the country. President Trump speaking from the World Economic Forum in Switzerland. It's the witch hunt that's been going on for years, and it's frankly, it's disgraceful. Senators now prepared to decide for themselves with oral arguments expected to begin tomorrow. Alice Barr, NBC News, Washington. Newfoundlanders are finally turning the corner in their recovery from last Friday's historic blizzard. A state of emergency remains in effect in St. John's, which limits people's movements until massive amounts of snow are cleared from the city's narrow streets. But for the first time since the storm, grocery stores have opened their doors. And that is a big relief to the people of St. John's, many of whom were running out of basic food supplies. We've been doing okay. It's just having to be in the house, you know. It's nice to get out. We only prepared for like two days of the storm. That's what they told us. So day five it is. 
need to get more food, so here we are. Yeah. Well, what sorts of things are you going to buy? Uh, we got to get like milk, bread, like necessities, We're running out. We get some really bad weather and the government has to declare a state of emergency and everybody just comes together. Well, some people are worried about long-term food shortages because of transportation problems, but a spokesperson for one grocery chain says he doesn't expect any serious shortages. A panel on climate change at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, has accused the U.S., China, and India of being the world's biggest polluters. The panel, that included Greta Thunberg, says governments must act now to stem climate change. We're not telling you to offset your emissions by just paying someone else to plant trees in places like Africa, while at the same time forests like the Amazon are being slaughtered at an infinitely higher rate. Planting trees is good, of course, but it's nowhere near enough of what is needed, and it cannot replace real mitigation and rewilding nature. The panel also says the U.S., China, and India must find alternate, alternative sources of energy than coal. A class action lawsuit has been launched against Iran and Ukraine International Airlines over the downing of Flight 752. A Toronto-based law firm confirms it has been retained by some family members of the 57 Canadian victims. A lawyer representing the firm tells Global News the flight should never have taken off as it was only four hours after Iran had fired missiles at U.S. bases in Iraq. The firm says Iran was prepared for retaliation and even war, and authorities should have banned all flights. The federal Green Party is trying to pressure Premier John Horgan into meeting face-to-face with hereditary chiefs opposed to the coastal gasoline pipeline. Instead, the Premier is sending one of the provincial government's ministers to Smithers for a meeting. Richard Zussman has more. The lights are off at Premier John Horgan's Victoria office. The reason why? The Premier is spending time this week touring central and northern British Columbia. Not on the agenda, the Wet'suwet'en Territory. The hereditary chiefs there opposed to the coastal gasling pipeline have requested a meeting with Horgan. But instead, Indigenous Affairs Minister Scott Fraser will meet with the hereditary chiefs on Wednesday. Horgan says the tour was already booked before he received a request for a meeting. The Wet'suwet'en and Smithers broadly were never part of the tour, and it wasn't until the, uh, the injunction decision on, I believe it was New Year's Eve, that uh, the issue of the CGL and the Wet'suwet'en concerns about that re-emerged. But federal Green Party leader Elizabeth May doesn't think that's good enough. Her Green colleague Paul Manley was in the region over the weekend and met with the hereditary chiefs. And she thinks Horgan should do the same. With all due respect to Premier Horgan, separate level of government, they, he should be meeting with the Wet'suwet'en chiefs. He should be understanding that they have been proposing an accommodation with a different route. The five hereditary chiefs are fundamentally opposed to the Coastal Gas Link project, a $6.6 billion pipeline, while the Wet'suwet'en elected council has signed a support agreement. BC interim Green leader Adam Olson also went to the region. He says it's up to Horgan to decide if he goes, but explains what he learned from a face-to-face meeting. I learned that the uh, Wet'suwet'en people have a very sophisticated and ancient law, a very sophisticated and ancient uh, governance structure. 
that uh, has been acknowledged in the Canadian court system. Horgan was in the region a year ago to meet with the hereditary chiefs. He says that meeting took planning and a lot of time to sort out. And he ultimately believes that this pipeline will be built even with the hereditary chiefs opposed to it. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. In Health Matters tonight, some potential bad news for people who suffer from migraines. The maker of Excedrin pills has temporarily stopped production of a couple of headache remedies, raising concerns about a potential shortage. GlaxoSmithKline says it halted production of Excedra Extra Strength and Excedrin Migraine after discovering inconsistencies in how it transfers and weighs ingredients. The company says it doesn't believe the products pose a safety risk, but say it's just a precautionary move. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A New Jersey animal shelter had a problem on its hands, finding a home for a husky with, well, shall we say, a, an unusual appearance. The happy ending for this pup after the forecast. Such a happy looking dog. Uh, okay, the snow disappeared pretty quickly out in front of my house and uh, yeah, just about everywhere it seems like it's gone. Christy? Yeah, so snow is long gone, but it's only across the south coast. Yesterday when we talked about the snow washing away, <laughs> inundated by photos from people in the interior. This is uh, Callista, which is just on the north end of the Shushwap Lake, sort of across from Sorrento. Kim saying, what are you talking about? We have a ton of snow. This is, we had power outages and we've had a bit of snow ever since then last week. Uh, this one from 108 Ranch. Um, the snowman not doing too well, wilting a bit, but you can still see a lot of snow. And of course, we show you the images from Kitimat yesterday, where they had uh, close to three quarters of a meter of snow in two days. So the snow has gone across the south coast, but not in all areas. And it had me thinking, so I put out a Twitter poll today. Which week do you prefer? Last week, where we had lots of snow across the south coast, or this week, rain each day? And I'll show you the answer at the end of my cast here. The rain is uh, across the region right now. We'll see a bit of an ease off uh, through the morning hours. You may even see some breaks, but waves of rain expected. So starting tomorrow afternoon, you're right back into rain. So don't leave home without a rain jacket and don't send the kids out without a rain jacket. Don't be deceived by these little breaks of sunshine tomorrow morning. By the afternoon, the rain will take over through uh, from afternoon tomorrow right through a good part of uh, Thursday. We could see anywhere from 40 to 70 millimeters of rain. Northeastern corner of the province, sunshine. We'll see rain across coastal regions. Terrace, some light snow for you, but not the amount that you saw in the last little while. And we'll see light snow, especially in the Columbia and the Kootenai region, but it does transition to rain during the day as temperatures warm up. Not much expected through the Okanagan Valley. So again, drier in the morning, rain by the afternoon in these areas. The key here is we are going to remain mild throughout the week. However, it'll be one thing after another. It looks like over the weekend it's not too bad. And here's the answer to your Twitter poll. 57.8% of you think that the rain is much better. I'm on the 42%, though. What about you guys? Well, it's actually pretty close. Pretty I mean, close, I guess. Statistically speaking. Yeah. Well, I like the margin of the, error. In the mountains. I like <laughs> it in the mountains, which is where Christy lives. So <laughs> That's right. Makes all kinds of sense. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Christy. Well, there's so much negative news about social media these days. It's nice to see the positive side once in a while. That's right. A New Jersey animal shelter called Husky House went online with a plea to find a forever home for Jubilee who'd been with them for a while. She'd been dropped off by a breeder who said that he couldn't sell her because of her, quote, weird eyes. The shelter's Facebook post went viral, and not long afterward, Jubilee was adopted by someone who'd previously adopted other huskies.
It looked almost human, but she just looks surprised. She looks Very surprised. surprised. All the yes. Time. Really stoked. Yeah. <laughs> really stoked. Hi guys. For a run. <laughs> Squires here now with sports. I know you're going to show some of it, but I got chills, and maybe you will too, watching Larry Walker's dad react to the announcement at the Hall of Fame today. It was amazing. Well, the thing is, uh, a lot of people thought mm, he might fall short. Even Larry thought that. Every, even Larry thought that before we, we talk about it. One of the reasons was the knock on Larry Walker was he played a lot of his career in Denver, and people thought, oh, well, it's thin air, and you can hit the ball further, and you basically are like a casino, and you have house advantage there. Mm. They finally saw through all of that, and Larry Walker of Maple Ridge has done something only one other Canadian has done in baseball history. The other is Ferguson Jenkins. And no one ever did it from this province. Larry Walker is in baseball's Hall of Fame. And it was his final year of eligibility, the 10th and final year, but he got 76% of the votes. You need 75 to get in, which was basically a jump of 20% from Walker or from last year when Walker received about 56% of the vote. He was inducted along with Yankees legend Derek Jeter. There was no question Jeter was going to get in today. Earlier in the day, though, as we just mentioned, before the voting results were announced, they came down at 3 o'clock our time, Larry Walker tweeted this out, that he didn't think he'd make it. He thought he'd just fall short, and he wanted to thank everyone who supported him. So the phone call he got from the Hall of Fame and the announcement on television was a pleasant surprise for both Walker and his father, the man who introduced him to the game of baseball. Uh, this stuff right here, this is the very first bat that Larry ever used in Utica, New York. At his home, Larry Walker Sr. is surrounded by mementos from his son's illustrious baseball career. I have his first home run ball, his first base hit ball, first extra base hit ball, first grand slam ball. This here is his, a replica of his golden glove. He's but as special as they all are, None matched the moment his son was inducted into baseball's Hall of Fame. Today, Larry Walker. Yeah! And down in Florida, Larry's son also couldn't believe it finally happened. I'm calling to let you know that you did not fall short this time. I didn't think it was happening, and I actually truly meant that. I, I had the, I had the numbers in my head and was uh, prepared for no call and. And then the opposite happened, and that call comes, and all of a sudden you can't breathe. As a Canadian, it was a proud moment for me to, to represent my country and be able to join Ferguson Jenkins in the Hall of Fame. When you look back at Larry Walker's rise to baseball immortality, it's a bit surprising because he didn't play much as a kid. Because I literally had to learn everything in the minor leagues. I didn't really play baseball growing up. I uh, didn't have high school baseball, so that didn't exist. It was 15 games of hardball uh, a summer, but I played uh, on, a, on a fast pitch team with my dad and my brothers with a softball, and uh, that, that was what I looked forward to all the time. His dad played some pro ball too, but <laughs> homesickness kept him from going too far. It's something Larry Jr. had in his early days as well, but his dad would not let him quit. He got lonely, missed his friends, missed his family, and he was about ready to come home. Larry Sr. hopped on an airplane and went to see his son and said to him, I will not let you make the same mistake I made. You're going to stay with this game and see where it takes you. We now know where it's taken him, all the way to being a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is something only about 1% 
of all major leaguers who ever played get to. Uh, never ever thought he'd be playing Major League Baseball, never, let alone being an all-star, an MVP, a league champion, you know, in, in playing in the World Series and the Hall of Fame. Um, it's just, it is, it's speechless for me. I, I, I'll, I'll get mixed up with my words because I just don't know what to say next because I'm just so damn proud of him. All right, I have to say one thing. He is not only the first British Columbian to be put in the Hall of Fame, I think he might be the first guy ever to have worn a SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> shirt yeah. and get into the Hall of Fame. I wish they had asked him, what's up what's with the with SpongeBob <laughs> SquarePants shirt? Very weird. I mean, I like it though. I like it too. I mean, who doesn't love SpongeBob SquarePants? So they're, they're obviously celebrating in Florida, in Maple Ridge, and in Bikini Bottom. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> where lives, right? where SpongeBob lived, of course. I think, anyways, if I remember my cartoons correctly. Anyway, congratulations mm -hmm. to Larry Walker and his family. And um, it's a great day for Canadian baseball. It surely is. Okay. Vancouver Whitecaps have signed another player for this season. Midfielder Leonard Owusu, who was playing in Israel. He is from Ghana originally. And at the age of 22, the Whitecaps are getting someone they can mold. One thing the Caps can use is improvement from the midfield. They are hoping that this guy is part of the answer. All right. The Vancouver Canucks don't often cheer for the Boston Bruins, but they are today because they're taking on Vegas. And even though Vegas gets a 2-1 lead here on this goal by Nicholas Haig, the Bruins come back in the third period. David Krejci with the goal on the rebound. The Canucks are still first in the Pacific, and they now have uh, three less games played than the Vegas Golden Knights. And Vasek Pospisil at the Australian Open against Ivo uh, Karlovic. This was last night. He had a 5-4 and 6-5 lead in the first set, but Karlovic came back to win the first set 7-6, won the second set 6-4 and 7-5 in the third set. So Pospisil is out. So was Oje Aliassime, and of course Shapovalov was already knocked mm -hmm. out. So not great for the Canadians, and of course, Bianca Andreescu couldn't even go because of an injury. Yeah. There you go. Great for us. Okay, thanks, Squire. Here's your snow report for this evening. Whistler Blackcomb picked up 23 centimeters of fresh snow. Rouse 7, Cypress nothing new, Sasquatch 2. Manning Park 1, Revelstoke 2, Fernie nothing new but Kicking Horse 4. Big White picked up 8 centimeters, Silver Star 7, Sun Peaks 5, and Apex nothing new. Mount Washington, a nice 16 centimeters. Whitewater and Red Mountain, nothing new, but Powder King picked up 20. Coming up on ET Canada, Harry Styles teases his new world tour, plus Tyler Perry's new thriller and Laura Vandervoort's vampire series. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thank you, Carlos. A Winnipeg bakery is fighting back tonight against online criticism over its donuts. Yes. I said donuts. We marveled at the absurdity of this earlier today. It all started with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau tweeting a picture of himself picking up a few dozen tasty treats from the shop. Amanda Kinden is preparing a dozen donuts. She recently filled an order for six dozen for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. That order yesterday from the Prime Minister meant a lot on a really cold Monday morning for a locally owned business. All was quiet until the Prime Minister tweeted this picture picking up seven boxes of the treats, which the owner says came to almost $200.
Social media criticism was swift, questioning his decision to choose a pricier bakery rather than a fast food favorite such as Tim Hortons. I think not a lot of people have a great idea of how much work goes into making donuts because Tim Hortons sells them for so cheap. Plus, she says the PM is supporting local business, which he pointed out in his tweet. This customer says Trudeau made a good choice. It's a little bit more expensive, but it, I think it's worth it. I, I love O-Donuts, so. But outside this Tim Hortons, the reaction was mixed. I mean, for most people, it is a little extravagant. I, don't, I like to know where he sells that kind of donuts. <laughs> If he's going to buy something local, then I think it's very valuable to show that kind of uh, loyalty. Back at the donut shop, the owner says the Prime Minister's purchase is being blown out of proportion. For sure we have bigger problems to worry about. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. What did you, were you just quoting Homer Simpson there? I think you were. Is there anything they can't do? <laughs> that was very lame. By the way, rain's come back already. Uh, yeah, it's it's out there right now. It will ease overnight. Tomorrow morning looking mostly dry, but it'll be wet by the afternoon. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night.